First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. I also want to introduce uh, our guest uh, speaker for uh, today. Uh, his name is Dr. Edgar Aponte, and uh, uh, Edgar is uh, serving right now as the Vice President of Mobilization for the International Mission Board, the uh, missionary arm of our uh, Southern Baptist Convention. We support uh, every time uh, that you give through our church. A portion of that goes to support uh, the work of the IMB uh, and the 3,600 missionaries that the IMB has sent uh, all over the world. And again, we have several of those IMB missionaries with us here uh, for this conference. You heard from one uh, earlier in our service, uh, as Michael shared with us. Uh, But Dr. Aponte, prior to serving at the IMB, was at uh, Mile Mater at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary serving there. Prior to that, he worked in Washington, D.C. as a minister counselor at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on behalf of his home nation, uh, the Dominican Republic. Uh, Dr. Ponte has earned, uh, in addition to degrees in business, has earned uh, a Master of Divinity degree from Southern Seminary and a Ph.D. in Theological Studies from Southeastern, and uh, was here earlier in the week to share with some of the local pastors in our area about how to get involved in missions. Flew, uh, Flew here, flew back on Thursday, and then came back again last night. Uh, to be with us for today, and uh, just in the short time I've already had this week uh, to spend with you, Edgar, um, I'll already consider you a friend and a church family. This is a humble brother. This is a godly brother, and a church family, would you welcome him warmly as he comes to preach the Word of God with us? Thank you, brother. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I've been ministered by the, the fellowship with your pastor, Pastor Scott. Thankful for the invitation. Uh, let me tell you, you're well represented, not only you as First Baptist, but also Florida Baptist by our trustee, who's a member of this church, Mrs. Cobb. Uh, so thank you for everything you do for us. Uh, and I'm glad to be here, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, honestly, it has been a joy just to get to know uh, your leadership team. Last night, having dinner with Scott, uh, uh, the pastor, not Scott Wilson, uh, but the pastor of Connection, uh, and it has been great just just to see the Spirit of God uh, and the unity and the fellowship, uh, so sweet and so encouraging to me. So glad to be here, and yeah. Please, I will invite you to open your Bible in First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you go to the end. The last book is the book of Revelation. You keep going back and you arrive first John. Uh, and we'll read today and study chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. As you get there uh, and you try to find the text, have you noticed that people love to quote 1 Corinthians 13? Um, even Christian and non-Christian people love to quote, quote 1 Corinthians 13. And it's for good reason. It's because it's a beautiful description of love. You know, it tells us like love is patient, that love is kind, that love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not resentful. It says rejoices with the truth. Love never ends. Indeed, it's a beautiful description of love. But what happens if I'm not like that? What happens if I'm resentful? What happens if I'm not patient or kind? Or if I envy? What happens if I'm arrogant or rude? 
How do I deal with that? I think this passage that we're going to study today gives us the answer to that. If 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is, 1 John 4 teaches us how to become people of love. So if we see the description of love and we want to become that, I think this passage gives us the answer for that. So let's read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. And I'm reading for the ESB translation. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son, his only Son, into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray together one more time. Heavenly Father, we come before you, a holy, perfect, loving God, in the name of your Son and in the power of your Spirit. We are thankful that we can approach you in the name of Christ and knowing that you listen to us because we come in his name. We ask you, Father, that you, your Holy Spirit will lead us this morning as we look at this text, that you will challenge us, that we shape us to be more like Christ, that we will love you, and by loving you, we will love others and we will love the nations. It is in Christ we pray. Amen. In the first six chapters of this, on the first six verses of this chapter, John is addressing the church and he's telling them, so you give it the context of in, in which we find these verses, he tells them that they have to test all spirit. He said, within the church, a lot of people will come, some of them not from God, telling you that they are from God. And it's a responsibility of the church to have discernment over that, to distinguish truth from error. Because many spirits will come. And in the first few chapters here, he's perhaps also address, um, he's addressing what was a, a heresy in the first century was called docetism. There was a Gnostic group that they said everything that is, is physical is bad, so the spirit is good and the physical is bad, therefore God did not become a human being. So they denied the incarnation saying like, wow, you know, Jesus that you saw, that was a, a ghost. So that was not a real person. So they denied that, and John confronted that. He said, that is a heresy. If anyone denies that Christ became a human being, he's not from God. And then he moved on. So he tells them that they have to be able to discern, that they have to be in alert. But as a good pastor, he also tells them, but there's a risk doing that. In that responsibility of discerning truth from error, we can commit an error ourselves in falling out of love. He said, we can become so jealous about truth, so zealous about the truth, that we can lose, lose love. He said, we can become like you know, those bulldogs of theology. They're always angry. Every, everybody's wrong. They're always right, you know, with a, a head full of knowledge and a heart empty of love. So he said, whatever you do, do it in love. And then he shows us why. So he introduces this section with the beloved. 
for establishing a one affectionate language that he used in previous chapters. He loves the people he's writing to. He called them my beloved. He called them little children because he loved those he's writing to. He knows them. So only in this chapter, the, the, law, the word love appears 27 times. So there's a lot of love here, and John is addressing them. So I have a simple message. If you take note, uh, my message this morning is a God who is love will have children who love. A God who is love will have children who love. And we will see this in two sections. First, God is love. You will see that in verses 7 to 8. So I ask you, please, if you have a Bible in your hands, that keep it open, because I will keep referring back to the test. Uh, and then, verses 9 to 11, we'll see that God's love is revealed in the sending of his Son. So let's go back to verse 7 and 8. He tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He urges them to love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love belongs to God's nature. It is woven into what He is, into who He is. It's part of what it means to be God. We cannot separate love from God. So God loves because He is love, and those who are united to Him, those who have been born of God, will love. A God who is love will have children who love. This is the point that John is emphasizing here. In the new birth, in that spiritual birth, in the new creation, in that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our life, love becomes part of who you are. What we mean by saying to be born again, if you are born again, love becomes part of who you are, of your new nature. That is why John, in a very, very clear language, tells us in verse 8 that if you don't love, you don't know God, because God is love. In fact, in this chapter, later in, verses, in verse 20, he says that love distinguishes through Christianity from false Christianity. Say, if you don't love, you must, not be, you must not be a Christian, because Christian, they love, because God loves, and by being united to God, love becomes part of who we are. A pastor in the 16th century, he used to say, if anyone separates faith from love, it is as he were trying to separate, to take heat away from the sun. Love and faith, they always go together. Faith and love are the two sides of a coin. We cannot separate the two. In some sense here, John is speaking about love the way James speaks about works. If you say that you have faith, but you don't have works, you don't have faith. If you, say, if you say that you have faith, that you trust God, but you don't love, most likely you don't have faith. Because that love is the manifestation of something internal within you. If we are in Him, if we are in Christ, we will display His holy and loving character. You see, the Bible says that God is love. But if you Go through the whole scripture, you will see that the Bible says that God is spirit, that he is holy, but you will never see that, that the Bible says that God is wrath. The Bible doesn't say God is wrath, because the wrath of God doesn't reveal his 
who he is in himself, his nature. Because his wrath is the manifestation of his holiness toward sin and rebellion. But he in himself is love. Because there was a time where there was not wrath, when there was not sin. But there always has been love because God is love in himself. Does that make sense? So before the fall, there was no wrath. But there was holiness. And there was love. Love as God himself is eternal. So if you really want to know God, you have to look at his love. Because it tells us something about who he is in his nature, in his essence. God is love, and his love as his own nature is eternal. He doesn't, and this is important for us to understand because he doesn't need us to exercise that love. Sometimes we have the idea that, well, God created us because he was alone and he could not love, so he created us to love. No. God is love in himself, and he has assisted in eternity past in a perfect loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created us not so that he will love. He created us so that we can participate in that eternal loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He invites us to enjoy that fellowship, that eternal loving relationship. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ in John 17 in the gospel, uh, he said, Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, they, that they might be one, even as we are one, so to, that they can see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This should teach us to be humble. God doesn't need us, yet he invites us. He is seeking us. He sought us. And he wants us to enjoy and be part of that loving relationship. So here the point, again, that John is making is that God's love for us and our love for people are always united. If we love God, we will love others. Because that's the nature of God. Then, verses 9 to 11, John takes our attention to the main manifestation of that divine love in human history. He speaks of the purpose of that manifestation. Verse 9, so that we might live through him. Verse 10, to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. So the love of God is being manifested by God sending his only eternal Son, His begotten Son, to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, the word, the word propitiation means basically that the Son of God came to receive the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve as sinners. The Bible teaches us that we all have sin. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death and condemnation. But God, in his kindness, in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that you and I should have lived, to die the death that we deserve. And God, Father, and the Spirit, raising from the death of the third day, declaring victory over death, so that we repent of our sin and put our faith in him, 
we will be reconciled and made new. He who is the eternal son, who is the son by nature, make us sons and daughters by participation. He who is loving himself became like us so that we may, be, may become like him. And that is the love and the grace of God. You know, pastors, theologians, they like to speak about the work of Christ and the person of Christ. Meaning like the person is who he is and the work is what he did or he has accomplished. The challenge is that they, sometimes they speak of that in such a way that they separate the two. And that's not helpful because we will not understand what he accomplished if we don't understand who he is. It is God in the flesh. It's God himself who's walking, who became flesh. It is God himself who went to the cross and died in the cross so that we may have life. So in other words, God gave himself to himself to save us from himself. It is not that he had to make an, a payment to someone, someone outside himself. It is to satisfy his own justice and righteousness and holiness. But no one of us could do it, so he did it on our behalf. So using the, love, the, the, the language of love, you know, John, he wrote this first letter. He also wrote the book of Revelation. But he also wrote the, the gospel of John. You know, you have fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he wrote that. And in that book, in the gospel, he, in the first chapter, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in that chapter, in verse 14, he says, And, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw the glory of the one only Son of the Father, full of love and truth. So thinking about Jesus Christ, the, the, etern the eternal Son, Emmanuel, God with us. Think about love. So I'd like to reflect on Christ this way. And the eternal love became flesh, and love walked among us, so that we that were unloving now can be loving and love. So that we that were his enemies now are his children. And that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that reminds us of the point that God, a God who is love will have children who love. But, brothers and sisters, the sad reality is that many times we failed to do that. Sometimes we failed to do that. A few months ago, I was listening to uh, a pastor. I was talking with a friend of mine who was sharing with me uh, a situation that happened in Chicago, in the city of Chicago in Illinois. Uh, it's, I get emotional about this. Uh, it was a family, uh, you know, a husband and, and a dad, a husband and wife. And, you know, the wife, and, they had a daughter. She was 15 years old, I think, 14, 15. The, the couple, the parents, the husband and the wife, they were members of this local church. Uh, the daughter uh, uh, got pregnant. She was 14, 15. So this couple, they were, they were destroyed. They didn't know what to do. They felt that everything that, we're doing, that they were building was collapsing in front of them. They were devastated. Uh, they were just struggling. They didn't know how to, who to talk with. 
So after some time conversing between the two of them, they decided to take their little daughter to an abortion clinic. Uh, and they killed the baby. Uh, the pastor of the church learned about it, and he went and confronted them and said, what happened? Why do you do that? And they confessed to the pastor, and they said, we knew what we were doing. We, were not, we knew that we were committing sin against God and that we were killing a human being. But, they said, but we would rather do that than to endure the criticism of the congregation. I mean, this is heartbreaking in itself. I mean, they felt like we would rather sin against God, kill a baby, than endure the comments of the congregation. I don't know that church, but definitely that couple, they felt that love was not present. Uh, and I think when we read John here, and when we read the New Testament, the picture that we see of, of the church, of the local church, is that we should be a refuge to those who need help, for those that are hurting. We want to be a place where those who are vulnerable will feel secure. We want to be a place where those that are fragile are okay being fragile. Because they know that love is present. We want them to feel comfortable being vulnerable because they know that we are people of love. Even when we walk someone through church discipline, we want to do it in such a way that they know that we do that because we love them. Church discipline, the point of church discipline is not the destruction of the person, but the salvation of his or her soul. We want to be a place where this young man that is struggling with pornography will be okay going to a brother and say, Brother, help me. I need help. We want to be a place where this sister that is struggling with depression and anxiety, she can go to another sister and say, Please help me. That is the picture that we see here about the church. We want to love one another in such a way that the world will see us and we say, why do they love each other when they are so different? When they have different backgrounds? Well, because what unites us is not something that is from this world. It is from God. It is, it is something that transcends us. Brothers and sisters, love others because you can. Love distinguishes true Christianity from false Christianity. We were created to love, but we have turned that love from God, and we have made ourselves the object of that love. And let me tell you, that is not love, that is idolatry. True love is always grounded in the one who is love in himself, God. Remember what we see here in the text. In verse 10, it's not that we have to love others so that God will love us. No, it is because we have been loved by God, we will love others. Uh, I grew up, as Pastor Scott mentioned, uh, I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. 
and I, I grew up in a small town in the northeast part of the country. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Uh, that did not work. Uh, so when I was around 14, I was practicing every day. And I remember my coach said, like, uh, you are weak, you need muscles, you need to go to the gym. I was running every day, and, and so I, I went to a gym. I remember the gym was in the backyard of a house. So it was, the discs that we were using were not like iron, they were cement. We were making them ourselves. Uh, but I remember the, time, the first time I went, uh, I started with 20 pounds here, 20 pounds here, and I was struggling. I could not do 40 pounds in the bench. Uh, but there was a guy, we call him Ludo. He was 6'3". He would come and he would put 40, 40, 40, 40, then 40, 40, 40, and he would like nothing. And he would go up to 300 pounds in the bench like nothing. And then he would walk out of the bench, take a uh, kind of a juice and put a green powder and shake it, and then he would drink something, and then he would continue to do all the weight. And then he would look to himself in the mirror, you know, do this, and then he takes something to measure his arm, how big they were. His arms were bigger than my legs. And so this guy was amazing. I said, like, who's this guy? He must, he must be like a vigilante or something, rescuing children, fighting criminals in the street. So what happened? Well, short after, I learned that he was a paralegal. He was working in a law firm, just typing papers every day. And I said, why do you need all those muscles when you're just doing this the whole day? I think that we can be like that. We have received all the love of God, and we do nothing. We receive the love of God, and we just look ourselves in the mirror, and we don't exercise that love. If that is one of us, we should repent of that. Because God did not love us so that we just would be okay looking at ourselves. He loved us so that we would love him and love others. Perhaps you will say, but there are people that are difficult to love. And I will tell you, yes, there are people that are difficult to love. So for one moment, think of that person that you struggle to love. Think of that brother or that sister that you think it is difficult to love. I will suggest that perhaps that person is the best analogy that you have in your life of the way that God has loved you. That difficult was for God to love you because he gave his only son for you. So that person is perhaps someone that God put in your life so that you will learn about the way he loves you and how patient he has been with you. In a book uh, titled The Compelling Community, a friend of mine who's a pastor, he wrote, our love is proportional to our understanding of forgiveness. And because our forgiveness is supernatural, we have the ability as Christians to God to love God supernaturally, and when we love God, we love others. You see, this love is empowered not by the lovability of others or our own goodness, but by the supernatural forgiveness in Christ at the cross. Love between Christians is not a sign of maturity, 
It is a sign of saving faith. Let me repeat this. Love between believers is not a sign of maturity. It is a sign of saving faith. We are called to cultivate that love. And we can do it. Meditate on the cross. You know, the younger we are, the more we think that love is just accidental. It's like uh, just happen. That is the kind of butterfly in your stomach. But it's not. Love is intentional. We, we have to pursue that love. I, I didn't wake up this morning and I, and I was wondering if I love my wife or not. I love her and I pursue that love. And I want to grow in that love every day. See, see the example of Christ. You know the cross? The cross is like a shadow in the gospel. Everything is pointing to the cross. And he repeats in, in many occasions that he, has, that he will die, that he will suffer. Why? And he knew what was going on. It was not an accident. And he did it because he loved us. In fact, if you go to Matthew 16, the first time one of the disciples made a confession of who Christ is, when he asked them, like, who the, uh, whom the, the people say that I am? And then they say, you know, some this thing, Elijah, some this, a prophet. And then Peter said, you are the son of the living God. And he said to Peter, my father revealed that to you. Well, what happened, they just move on. And sure after that, uh, Christ speaking about thine, going to the cross, going to Jerusalem, uh, and suffering. And Peter said, no, no, no. Don't do that. You should not do that. Kind of confronting the Lord. And the Lord said, apart from me, Satan. Because anyone who tried to separate Christ from the cross is from Satan. Because it is in the cross that he defeated death and the one that had the power of death. It is through his death that we have life. So that intentional was the cross. So that intentional is his love for us. And he's asking us and he's calling us and he's commissioning us to be intentional in the way we love others. To conclude, I want to share three practical points to you. One, be present. One, be present. Uh, first time here, Pastor Scott. But like, for example, in my church, we have brothers and sisters. They're members of the church. And they skip two and three, four Sundays because they were going to the beach or taking a child to a, a soccer game or doing something. Honestly, I think that is unloving. The picture of the, we see of the church is not where I go to get something. something. It's where I go to give my life for others. And you cannot love those who you do not know. We love God because we know him. We love him because we have been known and loved by him. You cannot love those who you don't spend time with. Even that brother, that sister that you feel that you struggle to love, that you think is difficult to love, well, instead of avoiding them, try to get to know them. Be intentional and listen to them. And they know if you're really listening. Be present and love others. And second, pray for others. You know, I think that you cannot hate someone you pray for. If you have someone that you struggle to love, 
pray for that person. And the, the beauty of that is the way God use, uses uh, that, those prayers in our own life. Because he uses those prayers to answer those prayers for that person that you're praying for. But he's also shaping our own heart as we pray for others that we struggle to love. And as we pray for others, he's shaping us and making us more like Jesus. So pray for others. And it's beautiful when we see, like in my own church, we have a directory with all the members uh, of the congregation. Uh, and sometimes, like in the morning when I'm reading my Bible, uh, I email a couple of them. I say, hey, you know, brother, sister, I pray for you this morning. Uh, if there's anything that I can do, let me know. I'll be praying for you. And it's beautiful to do that because uh, we see the fellowship, the communion of the saints coming together, uh, supporting and praying for one another. Please pray for others. And third, love the nations. If the cross is the greatest manifestation of God's love for us, evangelism and mission is our greatest manifestation of our love for others. If we will love people, we will share the gospel with them. Even when we feel that it's weird, uncomfortable. We do that because we love them. Uh, I was reading uh, a Australian stand-up comedian from Australia, and he's an atheist, so he does not believe in the gospel. He denies the existence of God, but he's, he, but he's following and listening to the logic of the gospel. So he's speaking to a group of Christians, and he said, well, if you're a Christian and you believe that my only hope that the only that we are sin and we, and we deserve judgment the only way for me to be forgiven and reconciled to God and be created new it is by repenting of my sin and trusting in Christ and you don't tell me that you must hate me he said if you don't if you believe what you say you believe and you don't tell me that you must want you must want me to go to hell and he's a non-Christian, but he's just following the logic of the gospel. Augustine, who was a pastor in, the, in Africa in the 5th century, he used to say, love God and do whatever you want. Because he, know, he knew that if we love God, that will shape everything else. Our love for God will drive us to love others here. And when we love others here, we will love the nations it is the love for those who do not know Christ that have compelled hundreds, thousands of missionaries to go to the nations. God's love fuels mission. And we can, but, brothers and sisters, we cannot love the nations if we don't love each other. So it's when we love God and we love each other, that love will compel us to go to the street, to the neighborhood, and to the nations to declare the glory, the mercy, and the love of God in Christ. And that's what we do as Christians. We go and we share those because we want them to be loved the way we have been loved by God, and we want to love them because God has been good to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have loved us when we did not deserve to be loved. But you loved us by sending your 
eternal son to die, to live, die on our behalf. And you raise him from the death so that in him we are made new. Father, I ask you, if there's anyone here who do not know you, someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, that you will speak to them now, that they will repent of their sins and that they will trust their faith in Christ. And if there's anyone here that you are calling to go to the nations, I ask you that you will speak to them and you will lead them to speak to one of the pastors here or one of the missionaries about how they can be involved in missions. Thank you, Father, because you have loved us and now you have called us to love the nations. In Christ we pray. Amen.